0: Hey, everyone. As a listener of the Elevate podcast, I wanted to make sure you knew about the Elevate Club. The Elevate Club is a new and exclusive membership community where over 100 members from around the world are working together to build their capacity. The Elevate Club is where I'm investing most of my time to connect with readers and listeners and answer their questions. Members of the Elevate Club get 12 months of access to a private Slack community for experience sharing and peer learning, private keynotes with me, monthly office hours, and free access to my courses on core values or remote work for up to three people. To learn more about the Elevate Club and sign up today, just go to elevate-club.com. That's E-L-E-V-A-T-E club.com. Or you can click on the link in the show notes. I hope to see you in the Elevate Club.
1: Cancer's days are numbered.
0: You're listening to The Elevate Podcast, and I'm your host, Robert Glazer. Join me as I talk to world-class performers about how they build their capacity and reach greater heights in leadership, business, and life, and how you can do the same. Welcome to The Elevate Podcast. Our quote for today is from Robert Frost, freedom lies in being bold. My guest today, Peter Diamantes, is one of the world's boldest thinkers, He's the founder and executive chairman of the XPRIZE Foundation and has started over 20 companies in the areas of longevity, space, venture capital, and education. He's also the New York Times bestselling author of several books, including his latest Life Force, which we'll talk about, which he published earlier this year with Tony Robbins. Peter, welcome. Thank you for joining us on the Elevate podcast. A pleasure, Robert. Good to see you. So I always like to start Early childhood, especially with entrepreneurs, I know you had a real passion for space uh, in your early years. Um, where did that come about?
1: Yeah, so I was born in the Bronx, grew up in New York and Long Island. Um, both my parents were immigrants from the island of Lesbos in Greece. And in the, I was born in '61, and in the '60s, uh, there were two things that really shaped my life. One was the Apollo program that showed us what was possible, and you know, you have to understand it's been 50 years since we landed on the moon. And back when I was a kid, we were doing it two or three times a year. I mean, this was like, yeah. wow, this is, this is what humanity does right now. And then comes this, uh, I like to jokingly call it this scientific documentary called Star Trek that shows us where the world is going to be. And you have to understand having, you know, America landing on the moon a couple of times a year made star trek look not only real and plausible but inevitable and so that was where i was going that was what i was going to do uh my parents had a different idea you know medicine was for them the highest calling and, and level and and so i sort of split myself into the boy who was going to be a good boy and become the doctor <laughs> and uh the secret uh, adventure in me was destined for uh, the stars and so the science was the
0: intersection there I guess. Yeah, right? science yeah. was the
1: intersection. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I grew up in a very religious Greek Orthodox family. I was the head altar boy and of course, um that didn't last too long as I was struggling between science and religion, trying to find overlaps, but that's, uh, that's another story. <laughs> so science one. <laughs> science one. I mean, I, I think I'm more I'm more uh spiritual than I was back then, only because science then drives you to realize like Holy shit, that's amazing. I mean, we're one of you know a hundred to three hundred billion stars in our galaxy, and our galaxy is one of a few hundred billion in the universe, and God knows how many universes there are, and all of a sudden it starts <laughs> becoming very yeah. strange.
0: Well, well, one thing I think maybe maybe not the science, a little bit of anomaly. So many entrepreneurs I know, and the folks that we interviewed on this podcast. They hated school. They were terrible in school. They wanted to go build stuff. I think you you were a good student though. So how did you manage to stay with the program despite having an entrepreneurial spirit? Yeah, I mean, I I did stay with the program. I used
1: the program, I should say. Um, you know, in high school, you know, for my parents, you know, who grew up very poor in in uh, in their childhood, doing well in school was everything. So that was well. Uh, injected into my psyche. And then when I got to MIT as an undergrad, I was scared out of my mind about how I was going to compete on this, on this stage. (laughs) And I was like, I was doing okay. And I was like, wow, this is easier. than I thought it was going to be, which is to say, you know, I just learned how to work hard. And then I ended up finding school as a means to do stuff, to experience stuff, uh, you know, I started my first organization ever uh, was a nonprofit group called SEDS, Students for Exploration and Development of Space, uh, which I how, started. How old were you? Yeah, I, I was a sophomore at MIT at the time. Okay, and uh, it grew from a chapter at MIT to hundreds of chapters around the world. Uh, Jeff Bezos was Princeton president of president of Princeton chapter, and I was national chairman and and. And I met so many people. Now, this is back when, before the internet, when you actually created newsletters on Xerox machines and mailed them out uh, (laughs) to keep, but it was, that was interesting. And then I started a university and I borrowed MIT's campus to do that. And so school was, I was still pre-med, so I still had to do well in school, but I was using MIT as a platform to do the stuff that I wanted to do. And so I was being entrepreneurial on top of that substrate uh, versus ditching it and going someplace else.
0: And and so what was the first commercial? I mean, you have founded a ton of businesses. What was the first? Did you ever have a real job? Uh, So listen, my first
1: commercial project was when I was 14. My friend Billy and I bought a snowblowing machine in Great Neck, New York. (laughs) And we went to all of, uh, we lived about three miles apart and we went to all of the homes yeah. on the path between his home and our home and we signed them up for uh you know 20 bucks
0: per snow removal or something like that and uh this is before SAS now you would have you charged them by the storm now now it would have been a subscription monthly subscription yes exactly yeah. well well the problem was the first storm was a 3 foot storm <laughs> and i was screwed
1: and my dad saved us by like contracting with the, uh, with the guy with the, you know, the truck and the bigger and the tools.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> and, and because I was like out of business, you know, in the, before I started. Uh, and then I was a lifeguard at a local pool. Those were my real jobs. And then from then on, it was like, not just, you know, pursue, follow my dreams. And that's fun. And And once you've bitten to that fruit, working for somebody else is really tough.
0: Yeah. Uh, I had someone once tell me that uh, if I didn't come work at this company, I was going to be unemployable. Uh, and he he meant that as a compliment. And, and I actually never worked for anyone again. So he wasn't <laughs> far off in his, <laughs> in his assessment. So a, a concept you've written and spoken a lot about is abundance. That even as population rises, that we've constrained resources. I mean, particularly now, it seems like every resource is constrained. You know, we could... Still have enough for everyone. Um, in some ways, it's a little bit of a contrarian view. So, wh- why are you so confident in, in this vision of the future? And what are? Can you give some examples of areas yeah. where you think we're evolving faster than the problem?
1: So, yeah, the book Abundance was sort of a, a breakout for me from the space world where I had been for yeah. twenty plus years to uh, sort of the exponential technologies world, and the concept is pretty basic and we all know it we just don't recognize it that technology is a force that takes whatever was scarce and makes it abundant over and over and over again and let's use a few examples. I opened the book and the the book's cover is a faux aluminum cover and I opened the book with the story of aluminum that in the you know 1880s aluminum is, aluminum's is most precious metal on the planet. Right, it's more precious than gold and platinum. The tip of the Washington Monument, built in the 1840s, the capstone's aluminum because it was the most precious metal. Right, and it, it, tell, it tell a story of the King of Siam coming over to dinner for Napoleon, and at the royal dinner, uh, the utensils for the King of Siam are made of aluminum. You know, Napoleon has gold utensils, and everybody else has got silver utensils. And aluminum was so light and durable. And, the, and even though 8.3% of the earth's crust is made of aluminum, it was all bound with oxygen and silicates, this material called bauxite. And it was so difficult to extract the aluminum metal out of the bauxite. It was worth more than gold and platinum. And then this technology of electrolysis comes along and makes it simple. And now we have aluminum foil. We use aluminum with a throwaway mentality. Yeah. <laughs> you have other examples. Like, you know, we used to kill whales on the ocean ocean to get whale oil to light our nights. Then we ravaged mountains to get coal. Then we drilled kilometers under the ground to get oil. And now we we have a planet that's bathed in 8,000 times more energy from the sun than we consume as a species in a year. So energy isn't scarce. It's just not in a fully usable form yet. And so technology, in this case, solar, is taking things from a potential of 8,000 times more energy and then bringing it in. Same thing for fusion and, and other areas. Uh, one of the best examples, and it's a recent one, is uh, you know, what would you think of as more scarce than a diamond, a, a perfect four, five, 10, 20-carat diamond? Well, this year, Pandora, the largest gem seller on the planet, made a proclamation that they're no longer going to sell diamonds that are mined by humans in Africa, these conflict diamonds. So they're going to
0: all lab diamonds,
1: all lab grown diamonds. Right. And so all of a sudden realizing that these very scarce, perfect gems can be replicated by technology like that from methane, water, and electricity. And so it's not that it's scarce. It's just can be created. So that's abundance and it's applicable to everything. There's very few things they can't go from scarcity to abundance right even time um which people always throw that at me and there are two things there one we're all born with the same seven hours seven days in a week 24 hours in a day and it's how do we use that time right and it used to be if you want to go to the library to get a book you'd have to get in your car drive there hope they were open hope they had the book you wanted and it was the most recent version and then you may or may not get the data that you want and then Google comes along and all of a sudden it's buying back time. Uh, if you're wealthy enough, you can buy back an hour at JFK or LAX by flying in a, in a private jet. The other side of time abundance is a subject of this book, Life Force, which is adding healthy years on your life. Can we add 10, 20, 30 healthy years? Can we make 120 years
0: old than you 60? And I, I think we are. So, so I have a question for you on that, particularly on the time. So there's a lot of scientists and people right now saying we are almost at the point of no return, you know, with climate change. So is your would your answer that that they are basing that based on the solutions that we have today and that we will have exponential solutions that change that? Timeframe, or because again, we have all this power, but you know what, what I'm reading, and if you're looking at the weather and all these records, people are saying, right. look, we're we're getting close to the the thin red line here, yeah,
1: so listen, climate change is real, and we need to be doing something about it, and we are, and you're right. The technologies we're going to have two years from now, five years from now, ten years from now to be able to address climate change are orders of magnitude more powerful. The challenge we have is that we project what we have today into the future and say, oh man, we're never going to make it what we got today. But guess what? You know, a friend of mine this past week, Jack Hittery, announced a spin-out out of Google called Sandbox AQ. A stands for artificial intelligence, Q stands for quantum technology. And they're going after quantum simulations and quantum chemistry. We're going to create new material sciences that are able to help us extract co2 orders of magnitude more effective not no one should be waiting for that right we just yeah, launched a yeah. hundred million dollar gigaton carbon removal x prize that i got elon to fund what's the what's the date on that so we we announced it in april of 21 and um we are asking teams we've had more teams register for this competition
0: than any other. We have about 1,200 teams. And will you explain for the average user like how much carbon that is or what kind of dent that would make or what, what the, so they understand the goal. They under, I think they understand landing on the moon. You know, that may yeah. be a little, yeah.
1: So there is a requirement for us to be able to extract tens of gigatons, tens of billions of tons of CO2 out of the atmosphere. The exact amount we need to extract is a function of how much we reduce at the same time right but uh where we are today is we're extracting kilotons and we need to get to megatons and gigatons and there's not one approach like for example mark benioff who's a friend and uh, you know a great philanthropist and ceo of salesforce talks about a project called the Trillion Trees Project. So there are something like 3 trillion trees on the earth today. If we were able to plant an additional trillion trees, the CO2 those trees would absorb while they're growing would bring us back to pre-industrial carbon levels, hmm. right? There's a uh, ability to build machines for mechanical extraction of CO2 from the atmosphere. You know, the atmosphere distributes the CO2 constantly throughout the planet, and so, if you build machines in different locations, powered by the sun, whatever technology they're using, and there's many companies going after this today, uh, they're sucking out, they're pumping air through, pulling out, you know, the uh, the parts per million of CO two and storing it. And the important thing is the idea of storing it for centuries,
0: not just for a day. Well, that's what I was going to ask you too. I, I know about, I hear about the storage, but if that actually had value or an ability to be used, wouldn't that even make it? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So we just awarded an X Prize, Our
1: first carbon prize was called the NRG Cosia X prize. It was $15 million. And we challenged teams around the world to build technology that would attach to the smokestack of a coal plant, a natural gas plant. So a retrofit, yeah and pull out the CO2 at the point of emission when it's at high temperature, at high concentration, at high pressure, and then turn it into a product more valuable than the cost of extracting it. Hmm. So you turn it into a profit center. And the two teams that won that were actually um, in the concrete business. I thought it was going to be carbon fiber,
0: like which everyone's well, trying to make there's, everything there's a, <laughs> it. Was a co- it was a team that made vodka from the CO2. Vodka from vodka. The CO2? Yeah. Uh, my science is not up to know how something that you choke on and do, then, then you could drink. But yeah.
1: Well, it, it's basically <laughs>
0: combining it with hydrogen and,
1: and uh, turning it into ethanol. Wow. But um, the lo- long story, uh, there were many different approaches. There were making it into plastics for materials, making it into concrete, but concrete from the value proposition one. So I'll close our carbon conversation on giving people a sense of hope. Uh, in the following way, there was a huge environmental disaster 120 years ago at the turn of the last century in the 1890s into the uh, 1900. Uh, I don't know if, if you know offhand what it was. It turned out that people who were moving from the rural area into Detroit, into Chicago, into New York, were bringing with them their horses, um, their motive power. And the population of these cities was exploding, not only in humans but in horses. And with the horses came, literally, a shitload
0: of horse manure. Methane, yeah.
1: And uh, it was just you know piles and piles of horse manure, and the city planners would create you know corner lots that you'd pile it up. When it rained, it was you know disease and and stink, and it was projected that as populations were going up, it was going to devastate these cities. And of course, people didn't, you know, start thinking about how do we re-engineer the horse to make less manure and so forth. What came along was the car and the car was just 10 times better um, than the horse and the horse population quickly dropped off. You know, a hundred years later, we have a different problem from cars, but that's where we're going. We're going to innovate our way out of this. It's not going to be regulating our way out of this. I'll, I'll close by saying John Doerr and Bill Gates both made statements about three months ago that the business of carbon removal would be financially as big as, as the internet, that will, the next multi-hundred billion-dollar companies and trillion-dollar companies will see will be in that area. And so what I teach a lot of entrepreneurs out there is that the world's biggest problems are the world's biggest business opportunities. Yeah. You know, want to become a billionaire, help a billion people.
0: That's a fair assessment. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? Two years ago, I bought a dual suspension mountain bike for the first time, and it pushed me to ride trails that I had never been willing to try before. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has exceptional capability that will have you seeing the possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process easier and quicker. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash practical. That's linkedin.com slash practical to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. So I know you wrote the future is faster than you think in January 2020, almost Mm. um, maybe (laughs) six weeks before the... Pandemic exploded. Uh, and, and I think one of the things people have talked about, Ben, is just accelerating some trends like remote work, scientific discovery, collaboration, things like five years you know, from where they were. H- How your perspective on sort of the future and timeline changed as a result of, of the past two years? What do you think it's made better and worse? So it's interesting because you're right, the juxtapositioning
1: of the book coming out. And the book focuses on the decade between 2020 and 2030. And uh, it's a prediction of what's going to change in retail, healthcare, education, insurance, finance—you know, every industry out there. And I would say that the pandemic accelerated many of them by three to five years. And what we are going to see—and it's clear the chinks are in the armor—is we're going to see the disruption and the collapse of the healthcare industry. Uh, and a little bit slower than I want, the education industry. And when I say than I want, it's like I've got 10-year-old boys, uh, and I think about their education. It hasn't changed in 100 years. I mean, Zoom classrooms during the pandemic was the most innovative thing, and they sucked.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, it started, right. It's, it was all about the, the I mean, kindergarten is a, is, a, is a, right. It's a Prussian or German. It was all about training people to work for the state, right? Isn't that the sort yeah, of, it
1: was yeah. uh, It was a production line. What do you call it? Uh, like industrial yeah. assembly line approach, right? It was like the bell would ring and you go to your next station and you'd learn something there in the next station. It was, uh, but we're not teaching our kids what they need for this century. And you know, for me, it falls into two categories. We need to teach them how to be more curious, ask great questions, how to be moral and ethical leaders. We need to teach empathy. We need to teach the ability to research and come up with a thesis and present your ideas in a compelling fashion to debate. And those fundamentals, uh, because we're going to be the, the lives of our children today are going to be so enabled by technology. Right. It's like you know, doing multivariable equations and learning derivatives. It's nice in theory, but you're never going to use it again. The learning how to think part, right, is, the is learning how to think is more
0: is important the most
1: important thing. Yeah. And how to leverage these tools and these technologies. And helping kids, you know, I have three things I want for my kids. One, I want them to find their passion because my passion of space drove everything I've ever done came from that ignition yeah. point. Right. So what is their passion right now? It's Roblox and, and video games and, and so forth, which is fine because we're going to be living a huge amount of our lives in the virtual worlds. You know, I, I'd love them to learn to program the games versus just play the games and we'll see. Um, the second thing besides fighting their passion is asking great questions really to explore the world it's curiosity it's really not taking things for granted it's digging one step level and then the third for me is grit is uh, not giving up you know the the most significant things i've done in my, w- in my world have been overnight successes after 11 years of hard work
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's what everyone else sees I, I you know the problem with the education system i have a senior who just applied to college and so i watched this whole cycle is yes. that the entire system, it's going the wrong way. It is going about getting everything right. And and if you get a B, like you're just not even...
1: Your life Your life is over. Over,
0: right. Yes. And, and the schools, I mean, I, I listened to some of these calls. They're like, what do you want to see? And they're like, we want to see that you got an A and all of the hardest classes and took everything. I'm like... That's kind of not how it works. Usually, if you loved X, you would hate Y, and you would not try to be good at something or get a that you're bad at. So I, the the incentive system, particularly among parents of of means, and telling their kids that they should, and everyone has an A now. I mean, it's kind of crazy. I don't even know how the school decides. So I, I huh. it, it seems like the whole system is encouraging the opposite, which is like, again, I, I just from the college they said, look. Peter, you tried this thing. It wasn't your thing. You didn't like it. You didn't do well. And you didn't do it again. Like, and then you went and doubled down on the thing you love. That should be a positive, but it's not. And so I, 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 I agree <laughs> with you. I, you know, along the lines,
1: one of the things that's interesting, because I really do want to disrupt education. We'll talk about disrupting healthcare,
0: which I think is, um, a, a big part of this is getting, pa- I mean, this is the problem is getting parents to define success differently for their children. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's interesting, right? In the in the education world, our children
1: begin with hundred points, and every time they get something wrong, their grade goes down. Yeah. In the video game world, you start with zero points, and every time you get something right, your grade goes up, which is the way it should be. I, I will never forget. I was when I was in uh, middle school, we were on a 4.0 average, and I wanted to get in biology. Remember, I wanted to get a 4.0. In the class. And as soon as you got anything less than 4.0, you couldn't get back to 4.0. And and for me, as a as a you know, a young immigrant child type pre-med student, that was devastating. And I had to go negotiate with my teacher that if I got 100
0: percent of the next exam, he would reset it. And then that drives people towards safety, right? Not risk Risk and chances. Yeah.
1: Yes. Yes. And so we do need to re-educate. I mean, I'm hoping college will become a thing of the past very soon. And we reinvent how people, I mean, and I do think the virtual world and AI is going to reinvent our educational journeys that we do.
0: Is it going to blow up economically? Are people just going to say, this just isn't worth a hundred grand a year? Like what yeah. is going to be the, yeah.
1: The also other thing is why, again, am I going to try and get to Stanford or Harvard? What is it that, that I, if I pay that much money and I work so hard and I get there that I'm going to be able to do. Oh yeah, get a job with Goldman Sachs or with a... What? No, man, that isn't what I want. I want to go and do something that I care about and start something on my own. And I don't need to have that third party stamp of approval.
0: I don't know if you ever heard the podcast that Malcolm Gladwell did. He was got very deep on education, and you know, you know he likes to do and poke and prod. And he he talked about the weak link theory or the strong link theory, and this guy. Who had made a hundred million dollars, and I think gave it to a New Jersey school so they could put, you know, ten thousand people in scholarships in the school. And then he he conversely he got the president of Stanford on a call and talking about. I think they got a billion dollars and they designed a program for ten people. And because <laughs> he was talking, about, and, and how that's the strong link theory that the, you know the, the, we're going to find the ten smartest people in this billion-dollar program, and it's ten people. It was fascinating. And he was like, Well, do you ever have too much money and you want to just give it to like the other California schools or so you just have more than you could, you know, more abundance? And he's like, No, no, we'll find a we'll find something to do with it. it I still don't
1: a- get why people give, <laughs> you know, a hundred million dollars or a billion dollars to schools that already have a hundred billion dollars. I mean, it's like, huh? Yeah. I mean, it's like I, I don't get it. But interestingly enough, so why do people go to these extraordinary schools? Um, they go there to meet other extraordinary people. They yeah. go there for the faculty and for the other opportunities. And so the question is, can you replicate those elements at a much lower cost? Right. And I think you can. And once those exist, I think the existing systems will fall apart. My, my advice to my colleagues at MIT, I loved MIT, right? I spent a decade yeah. there, was when, when someone gets accepted to college, it shouldn't be for a four-year experience. You should be accepted for life. It's a lifelong learning. The idea that you go to school for four years, learn something and you're done is like a really done concept. It ain't going anyplace. So it's life, you know, needs to be a
0: continuous educational process yeah, it's it 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 is going to be interesting to watch it develop. I think one of the things that is taking the place of it is you're seeing a lot more of these mastermind groups or people that are putting together the Yes. the pure piece of that that you get yes. um, with the exclusivity and, and um, obviously it's a lot less than college. For sure. <laughs> and, yeah, I think maybe I need to go start another business there. Yeah, I, th- I need to disrupt university Faster. before my kids, before my kids <laughs> get there, yeah. Well, I just saw some stat that it was overwhelming. I It was 80, 90% of the people that took out loans for college said that they didn't think it was worth it, right? And, and obviously no one is giving them an education to understand what that looks like in terms of paying that back, you know, once they, when, they, when they take those things at 18, but it was overwhelmingly that the debt was not worth it. Yes. I have an idea for you. Okay. Thank <laughs> I you. I could see. I saw <laughs> it in your eyes. It was sort of a Dr. Evil moment. Yes, no, yeah. it's, it's like, so let's talk about crushing the healthcare industry. <laughs> I, that is, that is next. We're going to, I want to focus a lot on life force, but I, I have okay. one more question related to this that I wanted to sure. to ask you. And that is, there seems to be this circular risk or problem with with AI and metaverse and all this online stuff that there is, you know, record anxiety and depression and a lot of it now is because people don't they're wired to have the need to connect with other humans and they are mm. they are doing that less and social media less. So with all these kind of advancements and the positive of them and you know there's a decline in I've read people like physical intimacy and actually reading facial expressions like if we become less human, like how does that change aspects of our or human contact goes down? How does that change how we're wired and and how we behave and what we need?
1: Yeah, I mean that's that is
0: that is fascinating.
1: Um, I think one of the things to, that you point out, Robert, is is we are wired for a very different world, right? We our brains and our brain architectures, hundred billion neurons, hundred trillion synaptic connections. Evolved for a world a hundred thousand years ago, that was local and linear. And uh, one example is we have something called Dunbar's number in our head, and Dunbar's number is the number of people that you have an intimate relationship with, and that's like 120 to 150, which is why like a platoon size is that size, and why it just at conferences and events you end up over a period of time you can you can recognize 100. 150 people. If it gets larger than that. they are people that you've never met over the course of, of months. And what's going on today is those intimates, those 100 to 150 people that we would normally have in physical life, uh, we're replacing them with, you know, Kim Kardashian and uh, <laughs> you know, and Elon Musk as part of your intimate group, right? Because you read about him every day on every tweet. Uh, and so ultimately, it gets a little bit perverse about who your community really is now i think we're going to be living a virtualized life i think we're going to be splitting our time in the real world and in the virtual world and i i think we haven't seen a fraction of what's coming Uh, with augmented reality and virtual reality i think we'll have multiple citizenships where i spend a certain amount of my time with this community and in this community, I am this person with these capabilities and these powers, and I'm known this way, different from, and we all, you know, we're some way with our parents, we're some way with our families, we're some way with our friends, our professionals. And uh, I think that is, is coming. You know, I don't know what the long-term implications are going to be. But as I say to any entrepreneurs, if you're seeing real problems and depression and isolation, and those are very real uh, those are great business opportunities. You know, flip it, and and how will you solve it? Uh, and I'm sure there are ways to solve it. What about birth rate? Yeah, birth rates <laughs> drop significantly. Yeah. So you know, people are worried about when I talk about longevity. People are like, "Oh my God, we have two people on the planet already." And it's like, "No, no, no, you don't understand. We're going to have a very rapid decrease. Uh, we'll peak at nine, nine and a half billion, but then it's a very rapid fall." uh we're below the replacement level in the United States and the pandemic worsened it uh we're below the replacement level in most of Europe a lot of yeah Asia, first world Japan. countries yeah yeah uh it used to be 5.6 children per family 50 years ago now it's 2.4 and so it's not overpopulation it's going to be underpopulation that's a uh, an issue um
0: so yeah, get busy. <laughs> <laughs> Those problems are not very high-tech. Uh, solving that is not a very high-tech solution, I would, I would think. All right, we're going to take a quick break from a word from our sponsors, and we'll be right back with Peter. Hey, Elevate listeners. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify is the partner you need to keep the cash register ringing for your e-commerce business. <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading platforms. I advise a lot of companies in the e-commerce space and almost all of them have migrated to Shopify. And as a buyer, what I love about buying from Shopify enabled sites is that they already know who I am and I don't have to create a new account or enter all my payment info. The shop pay service makes it faster and easier to buy, which surely helps with conversions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com elevate, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com elevate now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com elevate. Today's episode is brought to you by Text Expander. What can you do with more hours every month? Repetitive typing, little mistakes, searching for answers, all these things are taking precious time away from you and your team. With Text Expander, you can take time back and focus on what matters most in your business. With Text Expander, you and your team can keep your messages consistent, save time and be more productive, and be accurate every time. Make work happen wherever you are by saying more and less time and with less effort using Text Expander. Here's how it works. Drop your commonly used content, a thank you note or a request for a meeting into a Text Expander snippet and give it an abbreviation. Share your snippet with your entire team. Just type a few characters to trigger your snippet and the content expands anywhere you type. It's that easy. Text Expander is available on Mac. Windows, Chrome, iPhone, iPad, and listeners of the show get twenty percent off their first year. visit textexpanderander slash podcast to learn more that's text e x p a n d e r dot com slash podcast And we're back with Peter Diamantes. All right, so I want to chat about your new book, uh, Life Force. Uh, how did you and Tony Robbins come together to to collaborate on this book?
1: I've known Tony for the better part of 20 years and um we met sharing a stage together and uh uh, we've started a few companies together co-invested he calls me one day and he says peter i just took a really bad snowboard fall and i'm in severe pain and i've heard about stem cells he knew i'd been in the longevity vitality and even stem cell business for a number of years and i hooked him up with a dear friend bob hariri And we got Tony stem cell treatments in South America. And it was really transformative for him in terms of repair and and pain. And then I invited him to a conference. I was co-hosting at the Vatican on the future of regenerative medicine. And he met a number of the folks I invited, uh, and he became enamored with this. And Tony is an incredible integrator and educator. And he had written a few books on uh, one called Money Mastery the Game, interviewing all the top financial advisors and distilling it to what are their lessons to teach everybody. And he said, let's do the same thing in the vitality, health, tech space. And so he pitched uh, Simon and his sister. We have the same publisher. And uh, we set on a journey, a better part of three years writing this book i hold a event every year called my longevity platinum trip so one year we're on the east coast next year on the west coast and i go and meet with all the top scientists entrepreneurs financiers focused on longevity health tech age reversal and it's like you know just the top people out of harvard mit and and on the west coast out of you know out of the bay area and out of san diego and uh we interviewed all of them and the book is a tour de force it's a big book uh you can read it in parts you know read it from a perspective of here's the basic science and what's going on and then you know if you're concerned about inflammation or autoimmune disease or cancer or neurodegenerative there are chapters about what are the most recent breakthroughs, what is now approved by the FDA, what's in the lab, what's coming. And it's a story to give people hope uh, more than anything else, because it's extraordinary what's coming down the pike. Not by a little bit, by like a, oh my God, holy cow, that's amazing. I can't believe it. And so ultimately our job is to give people hope and to give them uh, knowledge of the latest technologies.
0: Yeah. I, I am not scientifically inclined. However, my, my own, I I play in an overhill soccer league and some other things where, where people get hurt a lot. And I've heard people say, well, they offered me the, this solution. I can do the 20 year hip and it's a huge thing, or I can do the five year. And so a couple (laughs) of times I've been like, I go for the short one because I, I, you know, this argument I've heard, I mean, in five years, I don't know. You maybe it's one that's half the you know. I, I wouldn't be making the long term decision uh, if it's a lot more invasive than the short term one right now. So it sort of aligns with that. Yeah, you know, I, I think uh, most folks
1: don't know even the questions to ask, and it's interesting. I'll just you know, my my goal is for people to realize that this decade, the decade ahead of us, is an extraordinary period of of medical technology breakthroughs that are coming, solutions that are coming and to be hopeful about them. You know, I like to say that your job is to stay healthy enough to yeah. intercept these new breakthroughs that are coming. There's a uh, a topic I talk about in one of the chapters I wrote called longevity escape velocity. And there's an idea that Ray Kurzweil and Aubrey de Grey put forward, and it's the notion that for every year that you're alive today, science is extending your life for about a quarter of a year. So over the course of the next 40 years, we're likely to, at this rate, gain 10 years of additional healthy longevity. But the amount is changing. And so uh, if you ask Ray Kurzweil, when do you think we're gonna reach a point where for every year you're alive, science is extending your life for more than a year, Right, so you're gaining time every year. His answer was twelve years from now. George Church, uh, at Harvard, head of genomics, brilliant, brilliant entrepreneur and scientist, said it's fifteen years. So if that's true, uh, your job is to stay healthy Hold on. <laughs> and and not die from something stupid in the in the interim. So look both ways before you cross the street. Wear your seatbelt, and also you know it's it's mindset. Yeah, if you think. Life is over, you can will yourself to death. There's an interesting correlate for men. It's not true for women. That uh if you Google the relationship between retirement and death for men, it's like five years. It's like if you when you give up your purpose for living, it's like retirement is a four-letter word. Do not retire is my my advice. You know, change your career, mix it up, have fun. But retirement, no, definitely not. Um, I'll mention one other thing. Um Over the last two years, the speed of breakthroughs in health across all disease areas and age reversal have been accelerating to the point where I couldn't keep up. So I ended up uh, creating an AI engine that searches the world's information for Mm -hmm. the latest breakthroughs on biotech and health tech. And so I built it. It's free. It's available for anybody. It's called. You go to longevityinsider.org. And it, gener- it uh, searches all the word, world's tweets and journal articles and so forth and generates a paragraph summary on the breakthrough in very understandable terms. And so I get that every day and I'm like, just blown away. And it, it makes me excited to be alive. And so that I want to gift that excitement to people for them to, to realize, yeah, I want to, you know, I've got a few more companies ahead of me. I've got a few more
0: generations of kids and grandkids to see. So let, let's play sort of a, there's some concepts in the book I wanted to ask you about, but we need, probably need to play a little bit of a speed round where I'd like to hear from you, like when sure. when is this gonna happen? <laughs> so the first concept is really interesting. And, and just even the verbiage is curing aging. Like, so is this, is it actually something we can cure? And when, when do you think that we're looking at that? Great question. So here's the deal. Everybody views aging
1: as just inevitable and death as just inevitable. We baked it into uh, religion. We baked it into governments. We baked it into everything. When I was a kid, when I, was a kid when I was in medical school, I remember watching a television show on long lived sea life that certain species of whales and turtles and sharks could live 200 years, 400 years, 500 years. If they, if they can do it, why can't we? And uh, I said, it's either going to be a hardware problem or a software problem. And so we're now getting the tools to change that. Another point I'll I'll point along these lines is uh, when you're born, when you're 20, 40, 60, 80, or hundred, you've got the same genes. So why don't you look the same, right? If it's your same genetics and it's not your genes, it's your epigenome, which genes are turned on and which genes are turned off. And there is incredible body of work right now focused on age reversal by reversing your epigenome to an earlier state of youth. So answering your question, uh, slowing and stopping and reversing aging is something I think is within our capabilities within the next 20 years.
0: Organ regeneration and harvesting.
1: Yeah. So um, I love this part. Uh, there are incredible heroes right now focused on giving us an abundant source of replacement organs. So, you know, we keep our airplanes and our cars going for much longer by replacing the, you know, the whatever part you need to replace, but not for humans today, if you need an organ transplant, sadly have to wait for someone to die. Um, and then hope cross your fingers. So there's a number of companies, uh, Unite Therapeutics run by an incredible entrepreneur, Martine Rothblatt is one example. And what Martine has done working with uh, Craig Venter is modified the genomes of pigs to humanize the pig genomes, to make the surface antigens on pig organs human. What it, why? Because it turns out pig organs, heart, liver, lung, kidneys are the same size as human organs they just did the
0: first transplant right they did they ago. did the
1: first they did a, a kidney transplant uh into someone who was uh, being kept alive on a heart lung machine just to to test it out and then they did the first heart transplant uh into an individual and the heart lasted 3 months it's still the early days um but the idea is that we're going to get to a point where you could have a backup set of of organs available for you. And then there's a guy named Dean Kamen, one of the most extraordinary yeah. inventors on the planet. Uh the creator of co-founder of First Robotics, um the insulin implantable insulin pump, uh you know, I bought a whole bunch of. Anyway, he has a he has a uh an organization called the Advanced Regenerative Manufacturing Institute, ARMI up in New Hampshire, and they've built machines to go from your skin cell to producing induced pluripotent stem cells and then from those stem cells differentiate them and build a customized organ for you and right now they're doing bone ligament bone
0: segments is this where the 3d printing comes into play yes a part of it is is 3d printing um, i understand 3d printer when it spits out Plastic, like how does it? <laughs> I mean, you know, vessels, or I mean, how how could a? I don't know. I mean, I can't even conceive of how a printer could. Print. There's a number of different approaches. It's not ink, right? They put in well, it. Well, yeah. no, but you
1: you can 3D print with cartilage and other connective tissues, mm-hmm. Uh, and then cell stem cells actually attach to this structure and differentiate into mm-hmm. nephrons or cardiac tissue or whatever the case might be, and they cell to cell surface contact causes them to specialize in a certain way. It's the early days still, their goal at Army is pediatric hearts. That's their goal in the next year, to make pediatric hearts. Uh, and so, I mean, and then there are many other companies working on, on kidneys and other organs. So the idea that a decade from now, if you need a, an organ transplant, you can order one in advance and have it ready for you when you need it is pretty
0: extraordinary. That That's, uh, I, it's hard to even conceive of. So one I know that's probably on a lot of people's mind is very personal to them, wasn't necessarily explicit, but when do you think we will, will we cure cancer? And, and then how far away is that? Yeah, uh,
1: I think cancer's days are numbered. So the first thing to understand is that the body is always producing cancers. Uh, Cancer isn't something that happens once and oh my God, I got it. Yeah, We're always developing cancers and our immune system normally 99.999% of the time finds those cancers and zaps them. It's when the immune system fails to do that and the cancer develops that there's an issue. So there's a few different things. First of all, everybody should know finding cancer at stage zero or stage one is your objective when it's the most curable, right? When you have a 99.9% chance of zapping it and curing it. And if you get it at stage three or stage four, the numbers are flipped and, and you're really in trouble. And we've all heard about friends and colleagues who you know, discovered a stage four or something, and it's like they had weeks left or months left to live. Well, it didn't happen that morning. It's been going on for some time. Uh, one of the companies that I serve as chairman of is a company called uh, Fountain Life, and we write about it in Life the book. And we have facilities uh, around the country, and we're adding and adding and adding. And I go to Fountain Life every year for a digital upload. What does that mean? So I spend about five hours there once a year. Uh, I do a full body MRI, uh, a brain vasculature MRI identifying any aneurysms any cancers uh, and then i do a uh, an ai enabled coronary ct that looks for not calcified plaque which is stable but soft plaque which uh, can rupture and cause a heart attack and then uh there's your genomics your microbiome your blood all of that it's 150 gigabytes of data wow. and uh, you know, I sort of hold my breath. I just did it uh, a month ago and everything is great, but someday I'll find something and I'll want to find it at,
0: you know, at the beginning when it was most curable. Right. There are a lot of people who say, I don't want to know, but when you explain it bullshit. this way, right. When you explain it that way, it doesn't make a lot of sense, right? You're I mean, going to find out. Yeah.
1: Would you rather find out when you can do something about it yeah. or when you can't. So it, it turns out, uh, here are the numbers, 2% of people going through the program have a cancer they don't know about. 2.5% have an aneurysm they don't know about. 14.4% have a finding that they need to take immediate action on. So we're all optimists, right? If you think about it, right? You ask everybody, right. is everything going on inside your body you should know about? And the answer is, I don't know. Well, I mean, you hop into your car or if you hop into an airplane, you know, you've got your dashboard, you know what the oil engine check light or temperature or your yeah. GPS, everything is working. We know more about... Are refrigerated than we do our our bodies,
0: but the insurance companies probably won't pay for that. Even though it would be cheaper to do the preventative maintenance. But, than so guess what? Prepare. Yeah. So Fountain Life, we just started our own insurance company
1: called Fountain Health, and what is it? It's for corporate health insurance right now. So it's not for individuals. It's companies that are providing health insurance for yep. employees. But when you buy the Fountain Health insurance, you get all of the all of the diagnostics for free because we save money by preventing the disease instead of paying you after you got it.
0: Right. And it's what screws up the actual aerial tables is the $5 million problem. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So what does that, what does that cost today? Like what would that cost the average person to do that?
1: So the, we do uh, fountain life has two levels. We have a, uh, a full diagnostic upload that you can do once a year and get the diagnostic read on it. And that's about 11K. Uh, You can do the annual membership, which is what I recommend because it comes with a concierge doctor and a quarterly blood workup to track things. And that's uh, 20K for the first year and 15K every year after that. And for me, it's something I will do for the rest of my life because you know eventually i'm going to find something and also the 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 linear information year to year to year is also useful so the insurance company is very similar to a normal insurance monthly payments that a company pays and it covers the 11k worth of of treatments by the way one of the treatment one of the things that we do as part of that upload is something called a grail test we write, we write about grail in the book in life force and grail uh, is now owned by Illumina, a genome sequencing company. From a single blood draw, they can detect up to fifty different cancers. So I get a GRAIL test,
0: you know, once a year. Eventually, I'll get it every six months. And between I assume the Grail... that number keeps going, and will go up every year too in terms of what new new ones that it can diagnose. Yeah, yeah. probably. And the notion is that between
1: the GRAIL test and the full body imaging you will find cancer at the very
0: beginning and i assume that per earlier i mean the cost of doing that is going to come down a hundred percent yeah we've seen genome sequencing go
1: from uh you know billions to a hundred million to a million to a thousand to a few hundred bucks now yeah right uh, mri machines are getting cheaper the ai algorithms on top of this so felton life you know, we actually brought the prices down from where they were originally started the company and we'll continue to democratize and demonetize these products and services.
0: So, uh, so many different questions. I, what What's the next XPRIZE going to be or what are the problems that the XPRIZE model needs to be put out yeah. uh, other than solving a stopping a, a world war? Yeah, well,
1: <laughs> uh, I'll tell you, I'm working very diligently on an age reversal XPRIZE right now. Yeah. Can a team uh reverse your biological age by 20 years from a, a treatment? Um working on in some X prizes in energy. We have a wildfire detection and extinction prize. So I'm in Santa Monica, LA. It's got crazy wildfires.
0: And when you say extinction, you mean like suppress it, not yeah, stop it from happening. Yeah. Okay.
1: So the the notion is it's very it's the exact same thing as cancer. We're asking teams you're giving you a thousand square acres find a fire at inception if it's greater than two meters in size or it's moving put it out in 10 minutes
0: fascinating yeah and
1: and that's that will transform not all wildfires but majority of them if you want to protect your properties your vineyards your whatever you can put these detection and extinction uh capabilities in place Working on, a, on an XPRIZE for coral reef restoration. Yeah. And so those are some of the ideas. And we're always looking for other ones, we're talking about orbital debris removal. Yeah. So, I mean, listen, I, I the thing that I'm most excited about is that we're living in a time where we've got access to more capital, more computational power, more information, knowledge, tools, you know, to take on almost any problem. And I do believe that there is no problem that can't be solved. And the most scarce thing we have is the passionate and committed human mind. So how do we, how do we get people to really sort of lift their sights on what they want to do with their life?
0: Not playing games and solving big problems, right? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, but
1: in fact, a lot of the games I've got, a lot of the conversations I have with game designers is how do we turn Gaming flat platforms and that desire to compete uh, into uh, solving platforms to solve problems and and I you know I'm an eternal optimist uh, I like to think of myself as a realist because I truly believe pragmatic that,
0: optimist yeah <laughs> that,
1: that human nature that you know the world's biggest problems are the world's biggest business opportunities and we're going to see people taking them on
0: and solving them at the next highest level. All right, last question for you, Peter. I could go on for hours, but I I know you got to run. What, what, this could be, this is multivariant. This could be singular or repeated or professional or personal, but what's a mistake that you've made uh, that you've learned the most from? Uh, Doing something for the money.
1: I, you know, a few times I said, Oh, this is a great make money opportunity. Wrong, wrong, wrong. It's like that was not what I should be focused on. So it's always, do something because it's my highest calling, and my passion, my purpose. Uh, and if I can make money doing it, fantastic.
0: Um, so that was uh, for sure. All right. Well, that is good advice to live by. So, where can people find about, uh, but more about you, your work, the books? Sure. Where's the best place to go? If you go to diamandis.com, you can. So I put a
1: blog out every uh, twice a week on longevity and exponential technologies. I've got a mindset. 30 day mindset course for free. If you'd like to be thinking in an abundant, uh, you know, longevity mindset, exponential mindset, you know, moonshot mindset, you go to dmandas.com backslash mindset. And it's a, a fun, I wrote this program really to try and influence entrepreneurs out there. Uh, XPRIZE.org, uh, if you're interested in what we're doing at XPRIZE. And I mentioned uh, Longevity Insider org, where you'll be
0: just blown away by the breakthroughs uh, happening in in, this, in the longevity field. All right, Peter, thank you for joining us. Uh, it's, it's always amazing to hear about your vision of the future. And I'm particularly looking forward to seeing whatever that idea for uh, yes. education. Yes, <laughs> I'm, I'm <laughs> definitely excited place. about it. All right, take care, Robert, be well. Thank you. So thanks for joining us today. You can learn more about Peter and find some of the links that we talked about on the episode page at robertglazer.com. If you enjoyed today's episode or the Elevate podcast in general, I'd really appreciate if you could leave us a review as it helps new users discover the show and the content. Thanks again for your support. Until next time, keep elevating.